Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Edmo Show's Real Talk Bible Series. Today we are going to be covering chapter 7. Chapter 7 is uh, going to start the the 10 plagues. So today, if you guys uh, would like to follow along with us, and as you can tell, we got our brand new camera. Uh, thanks to you guys who listen to the show, share the show, and who will also donate to the show. So if you guys want to follow along, this is the Bible that I'm using. This is the Messianic Jewish Family Bible. Um, you can use whatever Bible you want. Trust me, I have several Bibles here in the house, um, but this is just the one that I like to use. Uh, the Bible, the reason why I chose this Bible is because it, it focuses more on the Hebrew context of the Bible, uh, not so much of the English. Um, well, let me backtrack. As you all know, translations are a pain in the booty. So, um, as as time goes on, language changes. And during the times when King James and all these other versions of the Bible was made, these uh, these Bibles were were translated into Latin, into English, and all this other stuff. And sometimes words don't have a word for word comparison. So this is why I chose to use the Messianic Family Jewish Bible, the TLV, as uh, many of you may know it, or be able to find it online if you guys want to follow along and what helps me do my, a lot of my studies is because this Bible took um, record. Uh, it took a team of biblical scholars, both um, Christian and Hebrew rabbis, everything, a whole bunch of experts who can translate the words a lot more carefully from Hebrew and Greek to English. Whereas, before you had some words that weren't tra- that wouldn't translate so cleanly because the people did not understand the culture and sometimes words statements comments or even books can be taken out of context because people just don't understand the culture so with, and that's the reason why I decided to use this bible and, but feel free you can use whatever bible you want i'm not saying that um you know that this bible is better than any other Trust me, there are probably some people that are way smarter than me who have probably studied the King James or probably have degrees and whatnot in theology that said the King James Version is the best. I just don't have the time or the, or the mental bandwidth to sit here and translate old English into modern day English. But And I do appreciate the extra work that they do that uh, to, to make the Hebrew culture a little bit more understandable. But also, this is the other book that I also like to use. This is the Dennis Prager's Exodus, God's Slavery, and Freedom. Now, um, as you guys know, Dennis Prager, he is Jewish. Um, I am using his book because he actually goes into depth and he explains it, uh, explains it in his books, not only for his Jewish readers, not only for his Christian readers, but also for his atheist readers he tries to tackle a lot of the philosophical and moral principles of the bible that and makes the bible a little bit more palatable for people to understand again this was the very first book i have ever read from dennis prager and i actually bought this book years ago which what excuse me which (laughs) helped me to understand and We'll pretty much get a better understanding of the Bible. So thank you, Dennis, for uh, for writing this book. He trusts me. He has other books as um, we used his Genesis book. I believe he's also working on Leviticus and the other books uh, and other works to uh, help explain the first five books of the Mo 
of the Bible, which uh, many believe were written by Moses and the first five books of Torah and yada, yada, yada. So we're going to get into it. So today, chapter seven. So and it starts out as let me get this screen up. All right. Yeah. Things are being slow here. So Adonai said to Moses, see, I have set you as a as God to Pharaoh and Moses, your brother, will be your prophet. You are to speak all that I commanded you and Aaron, your brother, to speak to Pharaoh so that he will let B'nai Israel out of his land. Yet I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not listen to you. So I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth my armies, my people, B'nai Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring you out, B'nai Israel, from amongst them. So Moses and Aaron did as Adonai commanded uh, commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Adonai told Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Prove yourselves with a miracle. Then you are to say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh so that it may turn so that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, went into Pharaoh and did as Adonai commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and and before his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called for the wise men and the sorcerers and they too the magicians of Egypt did the, did the same with their secret arts for each man threw down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed the, swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So he did not listen to them. Just as Adonai said, the 10 plagues begin blood. And this is the first plague. Then Adonai said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is coming out of the water and stand ready to meet him by the bank of the Nile. Take the staff that was transformed into the serpent in your hand. You are to say to him, Adonai, God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you saying, let my people go so they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, you have not listened. This is what Adonai says. By this, you will know that I am Adonai. Behold, I will strike the water that you that are in the river with the staff that is in my hand, and they will be turned to blood. The fish that are in the river will die. The river will become foul. The Egyptians will hate to drink the water from the Nile. Adonai said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch it out. Stretch it out your hand and stretch out your hand. Sorry. Stretch out your hand over the water of Egypt, over the river, over the streams, over the pools and over all the ponds so that they become blood. There will be blood throughout the land, throughout all the land of Egypt, even in wooden stone containers. So Moses and Aaron did as Adonai commanded. He lifted up his staff and struck the water 
that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and all the water of the Nile turned to blood. When the fish that are in the river died, the river became foul and the Egyptians could not drink the water from the river. The blood was throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He did not listen to them, just as Adonai has said. Pharaoh turned and went into the house and did not even take take it to heart. So all the Egyptians dug around the river and drank the and for water to drink because they could not drink the water from the Nile. Seven days were fulfilled after Adonai had struck the river or had struck the Nile. Sorry. Then Adonai said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to them and say to him, this is what Adonai says. Let my people go so that they may serve me. If you refuse to let them go, see, I will strike and destroy all your territory with frogs. The river will swarm with frogs. They will go up and enter your house, into your bedrooms, upon your bed, into your house. I mean, into the house of your servant, upon the people, even into your ovens and in your kindling and in your kneading bowls. The frogs will climb up on you, your people and all your servants. And that wraps it up for chapter seven. So, of course, I highlighted a couple um, couple things that Dennis Prager has wrote. Of course, in Dennis Prager's book, he likes to go verse by verse and write uh, a couple words. He also has an essay in there. Crap that I need to find that I did not type down. Give me one second. All right. Got it. I'm all set. (laughs) So the first one he talks about is verse one. The Lord replies to Moses, see, I place you, uh, and this is his, and Dennis is reciting his biblical version. Um, so our, our translations may not be word for word, but they pretty much have the same meaning. The Lord replies to Moses, see, I place you, uh, in the role of God to Pharaoh with your brother, Aaron, as your prophet. And Dennis writes, Moses will have such command over Pharaoh. He will, in effect, be playing the role of God in Pharaoh's life. This is particularly significant because Pharaoh sees himself and his people see him as a God. The Hebrew word Navi or Navi, however you pronounce it, again, like I talk about, sometimes translations aren't so straight. The Hebrew word Navi is commonly translated as prophet, but it actually means spokesman. The primary role of Aaron and the later prophets in the Hebrew Bible, such as Amos, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, is not to predict the future, but to serve as God's spokesman or spokeswoman. Aaron has precisely precisely that role, to convey God's words to Pharaoh as they are transmitted to Moses. Verse 4, he writes, when uh, when when Pharaoh does not heed you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and deliver uh, and deliver ranks my people. I mean, my ranks, my people that is uh, that Israelite from the land of Egypt with extraordinary chastisement. Of course, in our version, read a little bit different. But um, and Dennis writes, there are three major uh, purposes for the ten plagues. The first uh, and most obvious is to force the Egyptians to release the Hebrews. The second, the second is to punish Pharaoh and the Egyptians for the terrible suffering they inflicted on the Israelites 
over uh, on the Israelites over hundreds of years, including for a time a mass murder of newborns, a mass murder of newborn Hebrew boys. God and the Torah believe in punishment when appropriate because God and the Torah are preoccupied with justice. Thank God. While the while the world needs compassion, the other God, the other good traits, they must also be rooted in justice or we end up with neither justice nor compassion. The third purpose of the plagues is to demonstrate to the Israelites and to the Egyptian that God, not gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh, is the real God. This is why we shall see the plagues were specifically directed against the Egyptian gods. The first plague, which we just talked about, uh, water turning to blood, the God uh, attached to the River Nile is Happy, who is a water-bearing God. And I'll talk a little bit more about him later. Actually, I can talk about him now. So, and this is from ancientegyptonline.co.uk. Happy or hip or hap or happy. <laughs> I said a hip. Uh, the hippie to the hippie to hip hip. Yeah, it literally says happy H-A-P-I or hep H-E-P hap H-A-P or happy H-A-P-Y was a water and fertility god who was popular throughout ancient Egypt. It is uh, thought that his name was originally, his name was originally the pre-dynasty name for the Nile. However, uh, by the dynastic period of the Nile period, the Nile was known as Interber. <laughs> I, I don't know how to pronounce that. I-T-E-R-W, which literally means the river. And the word was used to refer to the god of the Nile. The name Nile was derived from the Greek word Nilos, which was corruption was which was a corruption of the Egyptian word Nerwer, which in uh, meaning water. Um, he was worshipped throughout Egypt, but was particularly popular around Aswan and Gabel as Silicilla. <laughs> El Silly Silla. Yeah, that's funny. Happy was a patron of Upper and Lower Egypt. And as many of us, uh, as many of you who have studied probably history and geology, there was two Egypts or two Egyptian dynasties. You had the southern part, which was up north, and you had the northern part, which was down south. I don't understand why these people were backwards, but I think if I remember correctly, the river, the river Nile doesn't flow to the Mediterranean. The Mediterranean actually flows down. If I if if yeah if I got that right yeah see I don't even remember. Um, in this capacity, he was described as a twin deity named Happer Reset, Happy Reset, uh, Upper Egypt, and Hat Met, uh, yeah M E H T Lower Egypt. Yeah, I think that's Hat Met because you spell Comet so, sort of similar. Um, these deities were depicted either pouring water from a jug representing the the, indig, the inundation or tying together the the heraldic plant of upper and lower Egypt, the papyrus and the lotus respectively, in a knot which resembled the the hieroglyphic word sema or joined. These uh, this roll together with the connection with the Nile 
and the inundation made him one of the most popular and powerful deities in ancient Egypt, yet no temple has been discovered which was specifically dedicated to him. One of the oldest references to Happy is in a pyramid text of Unas, U, yeah, U-N-A-S. Happy, here called Hep, is linked to the gnome or nomi of Kinset, including the first cataract, I guess that's how you pronounce that, C-A-T-A-R-A-C-T, uh, and the islands of Elef- Elephantine? Yeah. E-L-E-P-H-A-N-T-I-N-E. Yeah. Uh, Sahil, uh, Filet, and others. And to Whip Wap Whip Wawet. Okay. These words, man. Uh, the text implores uh, Happy and Whip Wawet. Sent a good inundation. According to myths, uh, the river uh, flowed from Happy's home near the first cataract through the heavens and the land of the dead before emerging from the cave somewhere in the mountains. The inundation referred to arrival of Happy. So let me see. I think they also he's also associated with Osiris because his links uh, to the Nile and fertility also result also uh, as a result, Isis was sometimes considered to be his female counterpart or wife. The pyramid text was clear, make it clear that many of the ancient goddesses, for example, Mut, uh, were linked with happy and his aspects of Isis. He was also a husband of Kehebit in uh, upper Egypt, Wajet in Lower Egypt, both goddesses were sometimes associated with Isis. Okay, Happy was a was depicted as a plump man with large breasts and gr- blue or green skin, wearing a false beard uh, of a pharaoh. The female breast and his skin color are a reminder that he is a fertility god, while the false beard reaffirms his link to the pharaoh. As the patron of the upper and lower Egypt, Happy was often depicted as twin deities. Happy Rest, who wore a papyrus and of upper Egypt uh, on his headdress, and Hat Mahet, uh, yeah, Mahet, who wore a lotus on for uh, lotus of the lower Egypt on his headdress. He is depicted as a single god. He often carries both papyrus and lotus. And that is from Ancient Egypt Online. So, yeah, we're going to go into, as we go through these plagues, we're going to, because you guys know I like history, we're going to go over um, some of the gods. Because I honestly think that it kind of gives us more of a perspective when, when we are studying these plagues. Because it wasn't just that God was just making these plagues for no reason. It was... The Egyptians were really, really religious people and damn near everything, even to a bug rolling a ball of poop would represent something. So I think if we study the Egyptian mythologies and Egyptian gods, we can kind of understand why these plagues were done in the way that they were done. 
And, um, yeah, so we're going to keep reading. So Dennis also writes, verse 17, thus say the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, see, I shall strike the water in the Nile with the rod and that that is in my hand and it will turn into blood. The first plague may be considered a, and he writes, the first plague may be considered a fitting retribution for Pharaoh's decree that all newborn Hebrew males had to be cast into the Nile. Since blood had, was shed in this river, it would now turn to blood. Israeli Bible scholar Uriel Simon has noted the first plague, plague's powerful symbolism. There were presumably many Egyptians who denied or ignored the evil done in their name. This plague, in, <clears throat> excuse me, this plague in bringing their crime to the surface, so to speak, made such denial impossible. Verse twenty-one. When the fish that were in the river died, the river became so foul that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the river. The blood was throughout all the land of Egypt. Dennis writes, for those seeking natural and and opposed to miraculous explanations for the plague, Sarna explains that one way of viewing the plagues is as an extreme intensification of natural phenomena. In In the plague, a period of heavy rainfall caused the river to become so full of purple bacteria and eroded red sediment uh, that is apparent blood-like, the purple bacteria washed down into the river, uh, disturbed the oxygen balance, and killed off the fish, which in turn produced a foul stench. Of course, if the Nile actually turned to blood, uh, as literally reading the text suggests, that would too have killed off the fish. And of course... Um, as I, as I interject here, um, if you guys have been paying attention to the news, uh, every couple years, like we always see or hear about something called the red tide. I believe that this is probably something similar to what probably happened. And I'll talk about that once we finish up what Dennis is writing and we get into my thoughts. Worship of nature and versus worship of God. It is thoroughly understood that human beings would worship nature. In this world, nature, after all, is everything. But nature, unlike God of the Torah, is amoral and therefore unworthy of worship. Whereas God is preoccupied with good and evil and with justice, nature has no interest in any of them. Nature is is governed by blind forces and the amoral law of survival of the fittest. Then this also writes, and another thing that I found interesting was the Torah's opposition to magic. The Torah radically opposes belief in magic as opposed to magic tricks or illusions presented as entertainment because magic implies forces other than God's control uh, in the world. The swallowing of the Egyptian of the Egyptians rods, pause, is therefore intended to demonstrate that uh, that trick performed by the illusionist through a sleight of hand cannot stand up to a miracle of God. Hence, the Egyptian magicians c- cannot replicate what Aaron, acting as God's behest, does. Now, I'm going to interject here. I kind of think that, and this is just me speculating. I could be 100% wrong on this, but my speculation in reading this is that maybe God allowed their rods to be turned to staff, one, to show that they have no real power because their gods aren't real. God is planning to destroy their gods. And 
So there, the staffs, they, the Egyptian staffs get turned to serpents and then therefore swallowed by the serp, the staff of Aaron because Aaron's staff is, is, is a tool to represent God's actual power. So you have false power and you have real power. It's like a placebo effect. I'm going to give you, I'm going to allow this thing to happen. And then I'm actually going to show you what real power is. That that's that's my interpretation of it. And I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure there's somebody out there that disagrees with me. There's probably some scholar out there that can probably educate me. But um, so before I get into my thoughts, Dennis has an essay. I'm not going to read the whole essay because it's pretty lengthy. Um, well, I think I got a little bit of time. Uh, the essay uh, that he titles is three such a thing as is there. Sorry. I'm looking at the book. Is there such a thing as collective guilt? And um, I'm going to read the. Wow. Okay. Um, The punishment inflicted on uh, Egypt raised uh, raised a difficult issue of what is known as collective guilt. Specifically, what is right to punish the was it right to punish the Egyptian people for the decision made by the by their pharaoh? I'll address the unique moral problem of the 10th plague. God killing the firstborn throughout Egypt in the commentary of that plague. The Torah said the Torah's answer is yes, because the evil inflicted by the Egyptians on the Hebrews were not inflicted by a few people, but by the Egyptian people, though presumably not by every single Egyptian over the course of centuries. The Torah made it made the collective nature of Egyptian participation in the enslavement, torment, murder of the Israelites, clear in the first chapter of Exodus, verse twenty-two. The Torah was also the Torah also makes it clear when it comes, and this is the part that I highlighted. The Torah also makes it clear when it comes to individual crimes as opposed to national crimes. Evil is to be punished only on an individual level. Thus, if a member of a family or a clan member or uh, uh, or clan murders a member of another family or clan, it is expressly forbidden to punish the murderer's family or clan. That is on the great moral advance inherent in the much misunderstood Torah law uh, of an eye for an eye, a life for a life. Every punishment must be equivalent to the crime, not more, and most, uh, and must only be inflicted on the perpetrator, not his family, except for capital punishment for murderers. Uh, the pub, the other punishment are all financial, not physical. See the commentary of Exodus 21, 24 through 25. But when it comes to mass evil committed by a nation, there uh, can indeed be collective guilt. We cannot deny national evil but because not every member of a nation was guilty, take slavery in in America, which I'll probably I'll end up elaborating a little bit more of my own thoughts afterwards. Take slavery in America. The whole American nation pay a terrible price as a whole, uh, as the whole Egyptian nation did, because the national crime. What is going on? All right, I don't understand why my stuff is going off. Close that one. I got all I got laptops open everywhere. Crap. Sorry. Jeez. Yeah, it's about that time. <laughs> like I said, I ain't got that much time. Um 
because of the national crime of uh, African slavery, America fought a civil war because of slavery, a war in which many Americans died, as in all other American wars combined. A list includes World War One and Two, Korean War, and the Vietnamese War. Over 700,000, a statistical particularly striking given America's population in 1860 was only 31 million. Uh, let's see. I got a little. Yeah, I got time. Of course, as in all wars, many others um, most deserving of punishment, such as in this case, the American slavery, slave kidnappers and traders often got away with their crime. In fact, according to the Torah, Exodus 21, 16, those individuals des- deserve the death penalty. At the, at the same time, many innocents suffered and many innocent died. The only perfect justice in, a, uh, in the world to come, statements of slavery by two of America's greatest presidents affirm the notion that of collective guilt, Thomas Jefferson, the third American president, the author of the American uh, of America's declaration of independence warned that America, that Americans will one day collectively pay for the sins of slavery and quote, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just that his justice cannot sleep forever. During the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, too, affirmed America's collective guilt for slavery. Uh, state, uh, end quote, fondly, uh, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continues until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so it must be said, the judgment of the Lord are, of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalms 19:10. And I guess I can read this last final part, even though I said I wasn't going, going to, but we got a lot of time. To deny this, Lincoln told friends uh, a week later, is to deny that there is a God governing the world. Lincoln knew his Bible. While he did not regularly attend church, he constantly studied the scripture. As he put it, in regard to the great book, I have I have but to say it is the best gift God has given man. But for for it, we could not know right from wrong. Slavery was a universal practiced evil. But crimes of Germany during World War II, such as the bombing of civilian centers in England, Poland, and Russia, and elsewhere, and the carefully engineered annihilation of two-thirds of Europe's Jewish uh, Jews and millions of other innocents, the Holocaust were unique. And given the knowledge and or active support of most Germans for Hitler's invasion of countries and bombing of civilian centers, the given uh, and given the active ta- uh, ta- tacit support for slave labor and for mass deportation, of Jews and others, even if not every German knew nearly all these people were, would be murdered. The Western democracies did not deem it immoral to bomb Germany cities. There was a general sense that, that the German people, not just a handful of Nazis were responsible for Nazi evil, therefore deserve punishment. 
Among the first order, uh, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, the head of the Allied war effort, issued after a victory over Germany, was one compelling local uh, German population to view the horror committed in the concentration and death camps in their vicinity and and to provide proper burial for the mounds of corpses piled high by the Nazis. Eisenhower obviously believed German at Germans as a whole were guilty. Likewise, Japanese citizens overwhelmingly supported the Nazi like Japanese regime during the 1930s and 40s. That regime engaged in mass murder, mass rape, mass torture, mass enslavement, uh, grotesque medical experiments and fully conscious human beings in in subjugated Asian countries such as Korea and China and the evidence of internal resistance to the government is small, if not Nile. As with uh, Nazi Germany, the Japanese were deemed to be collectively guilty. Now, that's um, that's what Dennis writes um, uh, in his in his essay. Now, a couple things that I'm going to touch on. I agree. I agree with while we cannot dish out mass punishment. When there is a difference when it's participated and agreed upon and acted out by the masses, then we have to have collective punishment. Now, I don't believe in this whole Black Lives Matter and and, um, you know, reparations and all this other stuff, because to me, nobody alive today has committed those sins. Nobody alive today has committed those crimes. So. Who are we as a people to to force them to be punished for sins that they have not committed? Now, in the case of Germany and Japan during those times, we punish those people. We no longer punish uh, Germany. Now, um, in in um, in understanding slavery, we fought a war. We paid the price in, in blood. We paid the price on both sides. And the reason why I say on both sides is because as many black people don't know or care to acknowledge or flat out refuse to understand was that you had black people on both sides of the of the discussion. Like we have black people on both sides of the discussion now for Black Lives Matter reparations and all types of other stuff. You had black you had black lives that were actually fighting for and against slavery. You had black people who are actually funding the Confederacy. Dinesh D'Souza, I I believe, covered it in one of his movies or his documentaries about uh, one of the the largest, one of the biggest contributors to the Confederacy was a black man. People don't talk about that. Just like how um, just like how nobody cares to acknowledge the fact that the the first person to ever own slaves legally in America was a black man from Angola. So. When we want, when we sit here and talk about punishing the masses, one you got to understand. And if we look at the Bible, it wasn't Moses or Aaron or the Israelites that carried out the punishment. It was God. God carried out the punishment. Now God acted through Moses and Aaron, but the Israelites did not get their hands dirty. They weren't out there slaughtering people. God actually acted. To one, to, to show the Egyptians that they're not above natural law. They're not above anyone. They're, and the Pharaoh himself 
was not God amongst men, but it was also to show the Israelites who refuse to acknowledge that their God hears them and that their God is real to show them what the true power of God is. And today we have those, those, um, those examples because, and, and if you guys, um, tuned in for the, uh, the episode that myself and Alfonso Rachel did, we talked about it. We, and, and I liken the Exodus to the story of African Americans as most people do throughout history. I did not come up with this idea, but I can see why. And we talked about the fact that we, we made the connection between the Israelites and blacks. As black people, we have this big giant chip on our shoulder because of American slavery. And we're oftentimes miseducated about the history. We're oftentimes angry about things we don't understand, but we think that we do. We oftentimes try to ridicule people who don't agree with us. We oftentimes try to combat people who either don't join the ranks or don't speak the same uh, uh, verbal filth. You know, there's been plenty of times I've been sat here and and I've been called an Uncle Tom. And especially, you know, I got recently got blocked on Facebook because I, I, I refused the whole Uncle Tom statement because and, and I actually thank someone for calling me Uncle Tom. And in, and in just I called that person a Sambo because if you guys actually read Uncle Tom's cabin, Uncle Tom was the hero. Sambo was the villain. So any person that's going to sit here and try to. How I say this, try to bitch slap me with a with a Band-Aid, you know, because it one, I don't have any wounds. And two, when you give someone a Band-Aid, it is to help them. So by you calling me an Uncle Tom, you're not hurting me. You're actually giving me a compliment. So in that little rubber knife you tried to jab in my side, guess what? I'm going to jab an actual knife in yours because I see your intent. Your intent is to hurt me. And you don't even understand what you're doing. So as we get into these plagues, one, I would like to talk about um, about these gods, because now in America, I believe that we are starting to see the the 10 plagues actually uh, fall out in America. I, I, I think America is, is is about to go through its reckoning, its punishment. And I think that the people who are actually beholden to the Bible, to the word of God, I think those people are going to either go. I don't think we're going to go through a physical exodus, but I think we're going to go through a mental and a political and possibly financial exodus. I don't think I don't think we're going to really physically go anywhere, but but. As we have seen in the last couple years because of the election, you have seen more and more Republicans leaving and not even just Republicans. You have seen people who aren't even really political leave these very totalitarian like states who exercise their their semi politically godlike powers in taxation. You see these people fleeing to go to other states like Tennessee, Florida. In Texas, you don't see people fleeing to California anymore. California has fallen. California has fallen apart. And as you as you can see, you have homeless in the street. You have men in women's prisons. The infrastructure is falling apart. They're going through a drought. 
companies are leaving, people are leaving in droves, and especially when I lived there, they were actually entertaining the idea of actually splitting California into two or three states because they just could not handle the the financial infrastructure anymore because they've abused their people financially for so long and misappropriated funds. So we see people actually going through an exodus because in this exodus, it wasn't all Israelites that went. It, it was people of, of, it was all kinds of people. So we see that these people are fleeing from states that are just overly regulated, overly taxed, and they're fleeing to freer states like Texas, like Florida, like Tennessee, and some of the Carolinas. A lot of the southern states that many try to use to perpetuate this whole racial um, reminder of slavery. And isn't it funny that, like the Bible, and, and I'm jumping ahead, we talk, once Egypt was once a place of salvation for the Hebrews, just like America. America was a salvation place for a lot of people. You, you actually had blacks who came as indentured servants and not slaves. Slavery didn't happen until much later, where people who actually could not afford to come here or could not afford to live actually worked seven years and then they were freed and were giving and were given money for their servitude afterwards. So like America, people fled here to escape. And now what we're seeing is I think we're in a time of this Egyptian Babylonian Roman era in America where now people are so stressed out. People are so angry with the government. They're angry with politicians. They're angry with each other. They're angry at and just in general. And people are, are now crying out for help. But now you see people fleeing from a lot of these states who actually run our government, California, New York, D.C., and all the, these these coastal states that actually run the government. If you really take a look at most of the people who are in power in the government, most of them come from California or they come from New York. Two of the most liberalist states of, and I can't even use liberal in its actual definition because they're not even really liberal. They're in these most totalitarian states, you know, you see people fleeing those states in droves. But as we see in the New Testament, when they talk about Jesus, Jesus actually had to flee from Jerusalem to Egypt. So things are always in ebb and flow and things don't stay the same forever. But I'm, I'm hoping that people actually pick up the signs that are happening as we. And the reason why I say America is going through uh, through our own plague is because just over a course of a couple weeks, Afghan the Taliban have taken over Afghanistan after we done fought hard and long to secure Afghanistan to actually free the people. The Taliban came in in one hot weekend and took over like that. Why? Because we have a false president. We actually I won't even say he's a false president. He we have a non biblical president. We have non biblically represented leaders we have leaders who have their own agenda we have leaders that have their own 
reasons you I mean come on now Joe Biden has as much as we try to put this whole Russia China thing on Trump but Joe Biden's son actually lost another laptop to an uh, to a Russian spy his son was getting money from China Nancy Pelosi's sons were getting money from China all these other politicians are wrapped up in these countries and doesn't it make sense that the Taliban would take over Afghanistan the uh, the Afghanistan and the Middle East alone is known to be the ender of empires. And China and Russia have always have always supported, especially after getting their asses kicked by these people, have supported them. Supported these these tribes in these proxy wars that we have found ourselves in. America has been in the Middle East as long as as its inception. And and all the Marines have if you've enlisted in the Marines, you will know they will teach you that. That we have been in the Middle East since the night since the 1700s so we're not leaving the middle east anytime soon but the fact that we we've handed over the middle east to people who who are going to kill rape and pillage their own with american provided weaponry our sins are coming back to bite us in the ass so I think this is just the beginning. I don't even think this is the beginning. I think we are like on our second or third plague because now what we're seeing is I think the and this is not to this is not to jab at any homosexuals. And I know some people will say, well, Emma, you really sound like a homophobe. I'm not a homophobe, but I correlate this stuff back to when they allowed um, once they allowed gays to get married even though i don't agree with the government regulating marriage i don't agree but once they allowed that america started going downhill because that was the floodgate that was op- that opened to allow a lot of things and i'm not blaming gay people i'm not it's not your fault what i'm saying is the moment they allowed that that's when they started using Excuse me. The moment they allowed that, they try to use it. They try to use um, black oppression and the history of treatment of blacks as your own struggle. Try to say, well, they didn't let blacks get married, or they didn't let blacks and whites get married. So they use that same argument to why can't a man and a man and a, and a man and a woman or a woman and a woman get married? Well, because it's not marriage. You're in a. I mean, you're in a partnership. You're in a union. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It is biblically said. You cannot marry two like things together. You just can't. I'm sorry. Feel free to live together and be a union and all this other stuff. But they, uh, again, this is why I don't agree with state mandated or state involved marriage. If you want to get married, you should be able to get married. Now, we should have some stipulations the same way. Like you can't marry a child. But uh, prior to government being involved, the church is controlled marriage, not the government. But the moment we allowed that was the moment we started allow we opened up the floodgates to pedophiles and the mentally ill. We have men identifying as little girls. We have men and women identifying as the opposite. Men and women not even identifying in one at all. I don't understand how you how that's possible, but it is. You have people identify marrying animals. You have people marrying like all types of other marrying themselves, which is crazy. 
you can't marry yourself. How can you marry yourself? That's like if I took this remote, what can I marry it to? Nothing. I can't marry this remote to anything. It's a remote. You know, it's crazy. And that was the floodgate. And now we're seeing all these political policies and laws being written into place. As we see in Canada, you cannot call somebody. If they identify as a woman, you can't call them, sir, even though they're a guy. If they're a woman and they see themselves as a guy, you can't call them ma'am. So now we're having laws that actually hurt people on the books because of this one thing. Because God was not involved. God hasn't been involved in, in, in American politics in forever. I mean, in a long time. Our, our Constitution is actually founded on the Bible. So I don't understand where all these crazy laws are coming from. But now what we're seeing is we have a generation. They were even saying it when I came in. You have a generation of men who are not mentally sound, who are physically unfit, who are mentally unfit to serve in the military. So now that my generation is becoming, I think um, a lot of the people that I serve with in the the Marines, they are now E7s, E8s, E6s. We're now the senior leadership in, in in the military. So now that we're the senior military, the senior backbone in the military, and they were saying that about my generation, what about the generation after us? The generation that now cannot decide what bathroom to go in. The generation that identifies as something else. The generation that is so inclusive, they'll allow a man into women's spaces and a woman into men's spaces. What would it look like if we actually had a battalion of all demi boys? What would it look like if we had a battalion full of of trans women, trans men, men identifying to be women and women identifying to be men and no cis people at all? And we sent them into the Middle East. They would get destroyed. We have a mentally and spiritually weak people. Like I said in the last chapter, we are spiritually broken. So now I feel like something is going to happen to shake us up. And I feel like the Taliban taking over the Middle East because we're going to have to go back. We're going to have to go in there. But now we're, we're not only fighting guerrillas that who had old, a, old Soviet weapons. These, these guerrilla fighters now have modern age weapons, modern age American taxpayer weapons. And I'll talk about that on another episode. But as we close, if you guys please want to help us us out with the show. I am once again asking for your financial support. Thank you, Bernie. We are asking for your financial support. So if you guys can please, um, we have PayPal in the description box below. Please donate however much you want. You guys can visit our friends over at, at Wallet Tactical. But if you guys are down to your lonely, crusty bottom dollar, please save it and give us five stars in iTunes or comment wherever you get your wherever you get your podcast. And if you have a question, comment, concern about anything, whether it be the the Edmo Show or Real Talk Bible, please email the show at theedmoshow at gmail.com. And we will see you guys later. Peace out.